right. Praise the Lord. James chapter 5. And uh, we're thrilled you're here. Brother Hector gets excited over here. The Lord's really changed his life. And if you know his story and you know what God's done for him, you understand why he's so excited. Amen? And so praise God for that. James 5, once you've found that, if you're so able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? James 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. We're going to begin together reading in verse 16, and then I'll read verse 17 alone, and then we'll read verse 18 together as well. So let's begin together in James 5 and verse number 16. Ready? Here we go. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth her fruit. Well, we're looking at this series, My Walk with God, within our theme, A Heart for God. In particular, we're looking at this topic of about a prayer life, my prayer life. We began last week by talking about the necessities of prayer, those things you need in your tool bag to be able to pray consistently and constantly and fervently. We're going to continue that series both this week and one more sermon beyond that. The title is this this morning, Purpose in Prayer, Having Purpose in Prayer. If there is not a purpose as to why you would get on your knees and pray, why would you continue to get on your knees and pray? We need purpose in prayer. Let's, let's go to the Lord this morning by prayer. Let's ask Him to give us a tender heart, an understanding heart. And I ask that you pray right there where you're at right now. Bow your head where you are right now if you can. And just ask the Lord. Take a moment and ask the Lord to speak to you and minister to you through the Word of God this morning. And after you've had a moment to pray, I'll pray, and then we can be seated after that. Lord, we do pray this morning that you would help us to push out the clutter of our minds. Many folks in here dealing with medical problems. Some are dealing with family problems. Some are dealing with work problems. Others have financial burdens that weigh heavy on their shoulders. And Lord, oftentimes these things can distract and detract from the message that you would have for us. God, may you help me to preach with a fervency and energy that you would have that would match the sermon. Lord, help us each to have a listening ear and an open heart. Help us to be tender Lord, the one here today that does not put their faith in you for salvation, may they do so before they leave. Lord, may each of us leave here committed a little bit more to be like you, committed to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning I asked this question, does prayer work? Do we truly believe that prayer works? Elijah believed, and through prayer, Elijah saw God do some incredible things. Back in James 5 where we, we began, we find in verse 17 the name Elias. Elias is the New Testament name for Elijah. Elijah lived in Israel during the reign of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. These royals were royally rotten. They worshipped the false gods of Baal and Asheroth and 
were leading Israel to do the same. Baal was the god, false god of fertility, so Elijah called on the God of heaven to stop the rain and send a tremendous drought and famine in order to get godless Israel's attention. Elijah marched right into Ahab's palace and declared to all that would listen that it would not rain until he prayed and asked God to send that rain once again. Elijah prayed, the rain stopped, Elijah prayed with purpose. God then took Elijah back uh, into, um, uh, rather God took, then took Elijah to another country where he would stay with the widow woman and her son. By faith, there was a little bit of meal and oil there each day for them to be able to have just enough food to last them one day at a time. While he lived there, the widow's son died. Elijah laid the boy down on his bed in his chamber and Elijah prayed over the boy. God heard the prophet's prayer and the boy came back to life. Elijah prayed with purpose. Then God took Elijah back into Israel where it now had not rained for three and a half straight years. Elijah challenged Ahab and his false prophets to a spiritual duel of sorts on top of Mount Carmel. Uh, The false prophets prayed and nothing happened to their sacrifice. Elijah had water poured over his sacrifice. Trenches dug around. Elijah prayed a very short and passionate prayer and God sent the fire out of heaven to prove that He is the God of all gods. Elijah prayed with purpose. Elijah then went off to the side and got on his knees and for several hours prayed and pleaded with Jehovah God to send the rain. After much pleading and begging and watching, God sent a cloud the size of a man's hand. That cloud turned into a rainstorm that broke Israel's drought. Elijah prayed effectually. Elijah prayed fervently. Elijah prayed righteously. Elijah prayed with purpose. In the Old Testament, the word that best describes prayer is the word wrestle, to wrestle. Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night and would not let go of him until that angel blessed him. In the New Testament, the words that best describe prayer are striving, laboring, fervently. And how about this phrase? Fervent, effectual agony. Fervent, effectual agony. This is not your now I lay me down to sleep or your bless this food to my body type praying. This is prayer that has a greater purpose and seeks to really get hold of the throne of grace and get real answers from God. Church, we need to learn how to pray. Not formal prayers. Not prayers that are dressed up in fancy. Many prayers are filled with cliches and are shallow. They seek to please the ears of those who are listening, but do not come from our hearts. These type of prayers, they please man, but they repulse God. We need leaders that know how to pray. Leaders who lead in the area of prayer. We need men who know how to pray. Too often, men, we leave the praying to the elderly and the women. Men are too busy or too lazy or too independent to call on God and do so fervently and effectively. 
We need holy men and women that pray. God is repulsed by those who get on their knees to pray but live a wicked and sinful life. Holy living and fervent praying work hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. Listen this morning. If you are living in sin, you will not and cannot pray fervently. God wants us to pray with great purpose. We're going to look at four thoughts this morning about this topic of praying with purpose. If you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, I encourage you to fill in the blanks on the back of your outline, back of your bulletin, fill in the outline. Here we go. Point number one this morning, prayers eat it. Prayers eat it. All throughout Scripture we find the law of prayer. It is unavoidable. It is inescapable. Anyone who has ever done anything meaningful for heaven has been a man or woman of great prayer. Throughout time, people have tried many different ways to accomplish God's work without prayer. We have relied on, and I say we, I mean humanity, has relied on intellect, money, influence, industry. Today's uh, great um, uh, substitute for prayer that is falling flat on its face is technology. We think that because we are technologically advanced that we don't need prayer. My friend, technology is no substitute for prayer. Philosophy. Some people rely on some other life hack to replace the power of prayer. But God has given us only one avenue uh, to get good things from Him. And that avenue is prayer. Letter A, notice God says, ask of me. Ask of me. No one is above the law of prayer. No one. No one is above the law of prayer. All throughout Scripture, God's saints have needed to pray in order to get things from God. Listen this morning. Even Jesus, who is God, even Jesus, who is the Son of God, was not above the law of prayer. Psalm chapter 2 verse 8 says, Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Now Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm. It is a psalm written about Jesus. God the Father told God the Son. He said, Ask of me. Ask of me. And that's exactly what we find Christ doing in His earthly ministry. Uh, Jesus fasted and prayed. He prayed for 40 days at the start of His ministry. He prayed each morning, giving the best hours of His day to God in prayer. We find that He prayed just before He was transfigured and showed off His deity and His power here on earth. Listen to me this morning. If Jesus is not above the law of prayer, then neither are we. Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, He said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened twice these three commands are given for iteration, for by repetition, for sake of emphasis. Charles Spurgeon said, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. God wants us to ask Him for those things that we most desperately need in our lives. 
Someone may say, prayer is great and all, but doesn't God expect me to do my part? And the answer to that would be, as S.D. Gordon put it, you can do more than pray after you pray, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. Let me say that again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. We are looking at prayer's command. We are looking at prayer's edict. God has commanded. He's given us an edict from heaven that we are to pray. That we are to call on His name. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God says, ask of me, let her be. Notice, men ought always to pray. Men ought always to To pray. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. We need men and women of God who will be committed to praying a better quality prayer and a greater quantity of prayers. Let me say that again. We need men and women who will be committed to praying a better quality prayer and a greater quantity of prayers. Prayer is best understood, you listen this morning, prayer is best understood as intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. You all understand that intimacy is not forced. Intimacy is not rushed. Intimacy cannot be assumed. Intimacy is developed with time. Intimacy is developed with time. You don't just bend a knee and say, all right, God, I'm going to start praying. All right, God, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and have a strong prayer life. No, intimacy is developed with time. Men ought always to pray. Oftentimes, we treat God like a small child at someone's door. We run up, we ring the doorbell, and before they can even get to the door, we run away. And we run up to God in heaven, we throw out a a half-hearted, a half-spoken petition, and before God can even come and and commune with us and enjoy company with us, we're off on the next part of our day, and God's not got to enjoy that sweet one-on-one time with us because we rang the doorbell of heaven, and then we turned around and we ran off to the next part of our day, and God says, whoa, wait, come to me, make your petitions known, pray, and and pray regularly, but sit for a while and speak with me, sit for a while and commune with me, sit for a while and enjoy that intimate time with me, men ought always to pray. Ian Bounds worded it this way. He said, prayer puts God in the matter with commanding force. Asking me things to come concerning my sons, says God, and concerning the work of my hands, uh, uh, command ye me. We are charged in God's word always to pray, in everything by prayer, continuing instant in prayer, to pray everywhere, praying always. The promise is illimitable, and the command is uh, 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 comprehensive. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Whatsoever ye ask, if ye shall ask anything, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Whatsoever ye ask the Father, He will give it to you. If there is anything not involved in all things whatsoever, or not found in the phrase, ask anything, then these things, and only these things, may be left out of prayer. God wants us to pray for the big things. But God also, by faith, wants us to pray for the mundane things. 
Dr. Adam Clark, in his autobiography, records that when Mr. Wesley was returning to England by ship, considerable delay was caused by contrary winds. Wesley was reading when he became aware of such confusion on board and asking what was the matter, he was informed that the wind was blowing in the wrong direction. Then was his reply, let us go to prayer. Dr. Clark and uh, uh, Charles Wesley, uh, rather John Wesley, bowed together to pray. And um, uh, Dr. Clark prayed a very quick, simple prayer as he records. Then Wesley broke out into fervent prayer supplication, which seemed to be more the offering of faith than of just mere desire. He said, Almighty and everlasting God, Thou hast sway everywhere, and all things serve the purpose of Thy will. Thou holdest the winds in Thy fists, and sittest upon the water floods, and reignest a king forever. Command these winds and these waves that they obey Thee, and take us speedily and safely uh, to the haven whither we would go. The power of his petition was felt by all. Wesley rose from his knees. He made no remark. He took up his book and continued uh, reading. Dr. Clark walked over to the deck and to his surprise found the vessel under sail uh, uh, standing on her right course. uh, uh, Nor did she change um, uh, until she was safely at anchor. On the sudden and favorable change of winds, Wesley made no remark. He fully expected God to hear his prayer. He fully expected God to grant his request. Prayer is commanded of God. Listen this morning. It is his format. It is his desire. It is his command. Uh, It is simple enough where even the smallest child can do it, yet complicated because it requires proud adults to humble their heart, confess their sin, and yield to a holy God. Prayer's edict. Number two, notice prayer's effectiveness. Prayer's effectiveness. Look back with me at James chapter 5, and look at verse 16. The Bible says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. Look here. The effectual, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Genesis chapter 20, verse 17, Abraham prayed for King Abimelech and his household because God had shut off the womb of the women and would not let them have children. Abraham prayed and the wives gave birth. In Genesis 25, 21, Isaac prayed for his wife Rebekah who was barren in her womb to give birth. God opened the womb and and gave uh, them twins. In Exodus chapter 8 and verse 9, Pharaoh entreated Moses to pray for the plague of frogs to stop. Moses prayed and the plague was stopped. In Exodus 32, verse 32, Moses fasted and prayed for 40 days for God's wrath to be spared against Aaron and the Israelites and their idolatry. God heard Moses' prayer and the and the punishment was stopped. In Judges 10, verse 15, God had told the Israelites they would no longer be delivered for captivity. The Israelites prayed while in bondage and God sent Jephthah to save them. In Judges 16, 28, Samson prayed while in captivity and God gave him strength to avenge 
his enemies. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, Hannah prayed for a child and God opened her womb and gave her uh, Israel's greatest prophet, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus Christ, Peter, and Paul all prayed and then raised the dead back to life. In 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14, Hezekiah prayed while under threat of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. The next morning they woke to find the angel of the Lord had killed the entire army. In 2 Kings chapter 20 and verse 2, Hezekiah prayed when facing death and God extended his life by fifth years. Job chapter 42 verse 10. Job prayed for his friends and God delivered Job from his oppression. In Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. Jonah prayed for deliverance from the well and was vomited on the dry ground. And on Jonah 3 in Jonah 3 Nineveh prayed after destruction was certain to their city. God heard their prayer forgave their sins and spared their city. Matthew 18 8, chapter 8 verse 2. A leper prayed to Jesus and was healed of his leprosy and as Miss Bernice just saying a few minutes to go for us in Mark 10:47 blind Bartimaeus prayed and Jesus gave him his sight. What do all these people have in common? They prayed with purpose. And by the way, that's just a small sampling in Scripture of people who prayed and God heard their prayer and the heart of God was moved and God did great things. By the way, the point here letter A, prayer moves the heart of God. Prayer moves the heart of God. The list goes on and on of those in Scripture and those outside of Scripture who prayed and saw the heart of God moved. What is it that you need from God this morning? What is it that you need for Him to do for you? What relationship is broken? What health struggle are you battling? What financial crisis are you under? What health battle do you have? What is it that you need? And you've been trying through your own power and might to figure out. And you've yet to bend a knee and ask God to move heaven in order to answer that prayer. God wants to do great and mighty things today. But we live in an age of prayerlessness. Our churches are filled with prayerless people. We claim that we believe in the God of the Bible, but fail over and over again in calling on His name. Sometimes we ask God for things and the answer is a firm no. Understand me this morning, God is not your servant. He has a right to tell you as such. But oftentimes we fail in getting God to move on our behalf because we do not ask or we do not ask with persistence and perseverance. Prayer moves the heart of God. God's heart is oftentimes not moved because our knees are unbent. Prayer not only moves the heart of God, letter B, prayer molds the heart of man. Prayer molds the heart of man. Listen closely to Psalm 62, verse 5. The psalmist said, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Notice that, wait thou only upon God. Hey, can I just speak to you all this morning? I'm a problem solver. I look for any and every avenue I can to fix things. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. She'll tell you. I like to fix my problems and I like to fix her problems. And Sometimes I shouldn't be trying to fix her problems, right? I'm a problem solver. But when it comes to the spiritual, God wants us to make our petitions known through prayer. And then He wants us to wait only on Him. 
only on Him. Not to wait on Him while we pursue other options. Alright? Yes, I've taken the need to God in prayer. Let me see if I can figure this out on my own. No. That's not faith in God. That's a, a quick token prayer to God while I try to figure it out on my own. God says, no, when it comes to spiritual things, I want you to pray and I want you to wait only exclusively on me to be the answer to that prayer request. God uses men and women to answer our needs. There have been many times I've heard stories about folks who needed money or needed groceries and they bent a knee and they prayed and told no man about it. They bent a knee and they prayed and they asked God to come through for them. And lo and behold, God moves on the heart of some person and, and they go and buy groceries and leave it on a doorstep or they write a check and put it in the mail. There are story after story after story about people who believed in the power of prayer. They did not need to manipulate people in order to get a, a, an answer. They bent a knee and God came through through oftentimes we're not careful we um we go to god in prayer but then when he doesn't answer on our time schedule we uh we go to man and request the help of man cloaked in some shallow prayer request pray for me i don't have any money to pay my insurance pray for me i don't have any money to pay my rent Pray for me, I, I, uh, my coat is getting threadbare. Listen, uh, I, you need to ask God to pray for other people, but when it comes to your own needs, don't be fishing for people to give you things under the cloak of prayer requests. I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. But understand, Pastor Lejeune loves all of you. I love all of you. Do we believe that God is capable of hearing and answering your prayer or not? Do you really need to tell someone else about your need? There have been plenty of times uh, in Angela and I's lives where we were financially in a bind. We were financially in a mess. And we got on our knees and we prayed and we told nobody. And you know what? Every time God has come through. God has come through. God does not need you manipulating other people to pay your way through life, to help you out of a hard time in life. God needs you to bend a knee and only trust Him to see you through. You know what? God's very capable of speaking to the heart of one of His servants to help you through a hard time. You're bearing a burden and you need someone to help you pray and bear that burden. By all means, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. But don't fish for people to give you money, give you things. Prayer molds the heart of man. Here's what I've learned. The more that I pray, the more God fixes my character faults. We all know what it means to struggle with habit sins. Habit sins. Sins that we get entrenched in and, and you get on your knees and you say, Lord, help me out of this. And then, you know, after two or three times of ringing the doorbell and running away, the, the sin continues. And so we just, eh, oh well, and we continue. You know what I have found is that when you fervently, fervently get hold of God and pray, all of a sudden God begins to mold your character. He begins to help you overcome sin in your life that you struggle with. That nasty tongue, that sharp tongue that rips people to shreds, all of a sudden as you're on your knees and praying, God gives you a different spirit about how to speak. 
that lust that's welling up in your heart that you just can't seem to overcome, whether it's covetousness of material goods or, or, or sexual lust or whatever the struggle is, you bend a knee and you fervently pray and God begins to give you victory over these struggles. Because why? Prayer molds the heart of man. David Livingston was a great missionary to Africa. man from England that gave his life to the continent of Africa. He was an explorer for the Queen, and I believe he discovered the Victoria Falls, but he gave his life to preaching the Gospel. He once stood outside uh, on a mountain and looked out, and he saw, I see the campfires. said, I see the campfires of a thousand villages that have yet to hear the name of Jesus Christ. He gave his life to preaching the Gospel to as many of those villages as he could. David Livingston lived in the realm of prayer and knew its gracious influence. It was his habit every birthday to write a prayer. And on the next to last birthday of all, this was his prayer. He said, Divine One, I have not loved thee earnestly, deeply, sincerely enough. Grant, I pray thee, that before this year is ended, I may have finished my task. Listen to this. He was just on the threshold of his next birthday. Faithful men looked into the hut where he was. The rain dripped from the eaves, and they saw Mr. Livingston on his knees beside his bed in an attitude of prayer. Mr. Livingston died on his knees in prayer. He died on his knees in prayer. Prayer had molded the heart of David Livingston. Boy, I don't know how what defines you. If I were to look at you this morning and say, who are you? What defines you? What spiritual traits define you? Is prayer even on the list? Does it make the top ten? Does it make the top five? Would someone look at you and say, that man right there is a man of prayer. That woman right there is a woman of prayer. He bows his head. She drops her head and prays over everything. My friend, we need to pray with purpose. Why? Because prayer is an edict. Prayer is effective. Notice number three, prayers Enemies, prayers, enemies. Take your Bibles over to James chapter 4. We're in James 5. Look back one chapter to James chapter 4 with me this morning. Look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill, kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Look at me, church. Prayer has been a struggle for most of my life. Just being straight honest with you today. I have found it hard to establish a deep, deep prayer life. And I've oftentimes asked myself, why can't I get this figured out? I know how to lead a soul to Christ. I love leading people to Christ. I'll witness to anything that moves. I love to read my Bible. I've always loved to read my Bible. I love to study my Bible. I love to memorize my Bible. I've never had any issue with those areas. I love to minister to people. I love to counsel. I love to help people that are hurting. I love to come alongside and help shoulder someone's burden. But when it comes to prayer, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Why? Why is a deep, fervent prayer life so hard. Let me give you three enemies that keep us from prayer. Letter A, 
busyness. Busyness. James 4.2 ends by saying, Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Why don't we ask? Oftentimes we are too busy to do so. Mr. Bounds worded it this way, Other duties become pressing and absorbing and crowd out prayer. Listen to this. Choked to death would be the coroner's verdict in many cases of dead praying. If we will allow praying to be crowded out, it will always be done. Satan had rather we let the grass grow on the path of our prayer chamber than anything or anywhere else. The truth is, Satan hates it when anyone prays. One person quipped and worded it this way. They said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian upon his knees. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on his knees. You know what? You get up to serve God and you haven't prayed. Satan just laughs at you because Satan is bigger than you. He's smarter than you. He's been around longer than me and you. Uh, He's been at this for 6,000 years trying to fend off humanity from doing right. When you get up prayerless and you try to teach a lesson, preach a sermon, work a bus route, serve God, Satan just laughs and says, I'm not at all threatened or intimidated by that. I've I've taken bigger spiritual giants down than you. You bend a knee and begin to pray and Satan begins to quake and tremble. Satan trembles when he sees the weakest Christian upon his knees. Mr. Bounds continued by saying the process of hindering prayer by crowding out is simple and goes by advancing stages. First prayer is hurried through. Then the time is shortened. Then it is crowded into a corner and depends on just fragments of time for its exercise. Then... It falls out of estimate, out of the heart, out of the habits, out of the life. We cease to pray and cease to live uh, fervently. Uh, How do we combat this? We must set aside the best part of our day for prayer. Our time with the Lord should be done when we are most alert. Listen to me this morning. God deserves our best. God deserves our best. We should not give Him what's leftovers or last. We should give Him what's first. Our time of the Lord should be when we are most alert. I would encourage each of you to devote 30 minutes to an hour each day, each morning in prayer. Each morning in prayer. Push aside all distractions and make a plan to get hold of God. Listen this morning. Instead of making excuses, make a way. Make a way. Figure it out. Quit being lazy. Get yourself out of bed. Bend a knee. Talk to the Lord in prayer. And if you need to, brew a cup of coffee first. Amen? Make a way. Busyness. We oftentimes don't pray because we're busy. Letter B. Here's another enemy to prayer. Worldliness. Worldliness. Someone, Brother Joe or Brother Owens, if somebody can just shut the baptistry off, that way it ceases to be a distraction, that'd be great. And while they're doing that, just please give me your attention up here. James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, look back there with me, James five sixteen. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer, look here, of a righteous man. What kind of man? A righteous man. 
availeth much. Notice that one of the qualifiers for being an effectual, fervent prayer that avails much, one of the qualifiers, really the only qualifier, is that we are a righteous man, a righteous believer. What does it mean to be righteous? It means that we're living our life and we're in right standing with God. James chapter 4. Look back at James chapter 4. Look back at verse 3. Look back at verse 3. It says there, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. Look at the worldliness here. That ye may consume it upon your own lusts. Verse 4, and and I'm going off memory, this isn't in my notes. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world. There's that worldliness. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You want to be an enemy of heaven? Be a friend of the world. Let worldliness live in you. My friend, it is okay for the boat to be in the water. It is not okay. It is dangerous for the water to begin to seep inside the boat. It is okay for the Christian to live in the world. It is not okay for the world to seep into the heart of the Christian. Holy living and effectual praying work hand in hand. If you are not living free of sin, you will not have an appetite to pray. If you do not have an appetite to pray, it is most likely because you are living in sin and ungodliness. 1 Timothy 2.8 talks about prayer by lifting up of holy hands without wrath and doubting. Did you hear that? We are to pray with holy hands. Again, Mr. Bounds worded it this way. He said the name of Christ must be honored by our lives before it will honor, before, uh, it will honor our intercessions. The life of faith perfects the prayer of faith. Our lives not only give color to our praying, but they give body to it as well. Bad living makes bad praying. We pray feebly because we live feebly. The stream of praying cannot rise higher than the fountain of our living. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 9 says this. this, It says, Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger... And speaking vanity. If you put away from your sin, then I will answer your prayers. If you'll live righteously, if you'll cry to me from a righteous heart, I will hear and answer your prayers. Why is it that so many of us do not pray? Because we are worldly. We are wicked. We are sinful. We are unholy. We are entrenched in wrongdoing. We are more concerned with the acceptance of men than the approval of God. Enemies of prayer. Why is it so hard for us to pray? Well, busyness, worldliness. And let me take a moment and discuss prayerless praying. Prayerless praying. And I know that that looks like an oxymoronic or paradoxical statement. But let me explain what I mean by prayerless praying. This is the worst kind of praying. It is praying that comes from the head and not from our heart. How much praying there is by men and women who never abide in Christ. I'm talking about hasty praying. Sweet praying full of sentiments. Pleasing praying, but not backed by a life wedded to Christ. I'm talking about popular praying. How much of this praying is from unsanctified hearts and unhallowed lips. Prayers spring into life under the influence of some great excitement by some pressing emergency, through some popular clamor, or some great peril, but 
these prayers do not meet the condition set forth to pray. Listen this morning, prayerless lips, prayerless praying by lips and hearts, untrained to prayer, by lives out of harmony with Jesus Christ. Prayerless praying, which was the, which has the form and motion of prayer, but is without the true heart of prayer. These type of prayers never move God to an answer. It is of such praying that James says, Ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. You know the story in Luke 18. We won't turn there this morning. But Luke 18, verse 10 through 14, Jesus tells a story about two people that go into the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee. The other is a publican, a sinner. The Pharisee stands in a place where everyone can see him. He spreads wide his hands. He makes sure that as many people as possible can see him. He stands and he holds his hands up and he says, Lord, I thank Thee that I am so awesome. I thank Thee that I am God's gift to man. If peanut butter had existed back then, you said, I thank Thee that I'm greater than peanut butter. I'm not like that publican in the corner. I am better than him. And the publican standing in the corner, what does the Bible say he did? He beat his chest. He smote his breast. He bowed his head. And he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then Jesus asked the question, which of those two left forgiven? Which of those two left forgiven? Listen up this morning. I'm going to call on somebody. I feel bad for the person I call on. I'm going to call on someone to pray at the end of the service. Can I tell you what's terrible about a lot of praying I've heard in church? It's meant to please the ears of men. And it doesn't please the heart of God. It ought to come from the heart. It ought to come from the heart. When we pray, it ought not just be some formal formality. You know what a lot of the world has today? I hope you're really, really, really dialed into what I'm saying this morning. I really hope you, you, you catch not only with your ears but with your heart what I'm about to say to you today. The world is dying of formalism in religion. Formalism in religion. Religion filled with ceremonialism and formalism is dead. And a lot of our praying mimics that type of religion. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ in our prayer. Not some repeated homily, that repeated prayer that comes out of our mouth. Oftentimes we've been to knee and pray, and the truth is that I took your prayer from Thursday, and I matched it up against your prayer on Wednesday, and your prayer on Tuesday, and your prayer on Monday. You're saying almost the exact same things. God does not just want you to bend the knee and pray over a list. God does not want you to bend the knee and say a bunch of Christian cliche things. God wants you to get on your knees and speak to Him like He's a person that saved you from hell. Prayerless praying. Oh, may God deliver us from shallow, prayerless praying. Can I just say this morning, you're better off not praying at all than praying some prayerless prayer. When we pray, may we pray with fervency. 
May we pray with energy. Why is it that we don't pray? Busyness, worldliness, prayerless praying. I finished the message this morning by looking at point number four. Look at here, prayer exemplified. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look with me at verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Please, I need everyone to turn there. If you have a Bible this morning, please, please, please take the time and turn over there. If you've closed your Bible and zipped up the case it's in, unzip the case, get the Bible out and turn to 1 Timothy 2. I want every eyeball on a Bible to look at this this morning. This is so important. I saved this point for last on purpose. I believe this is a great way to bring the message home this morning on prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse number 8. Let's read that verse together. Can we do that? I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Okay, we're going to do that again, except this time I want only the men in the room to read the verse. I still hear pages turning. Let me give you a second to get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. You got to Hebrews, you've gone too far. Back up a couple books. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me do this. Let me have all the men in the room stand. Stand up, men. Teenage boys, you can stand up too, all right? Young men and men. 1 Timothy 2. Let's read with energy. Verse 8. Ready? I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. You can be seated. Oftentimes in Scripture, when you see the word men or man, it is, imp- it is Im- implied mankind or both genders. But 1 Timothy 2.8 is not talking to women. 1 Timothy 2.8 is directly talking to men. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because verse 9 addresses women. You can look at verse 9 and you can see that women are addressed in verse 9. Specific instructions are given to men, and then specific instructions are given to women in verse 9. Now, ladies, let me be clear. You need to pray. You need to pray with holy hands. What's said in verse 8 applies to you, but it's written to the men. Why? Why did God single out men? I don't know that for certain, but I'm going to give you why I think he singles out men. I think he does so because he knows that of the two genders, men struggle with prayer more than women. Guys, look up here. I'm one of you. So I can speak directly to you because I know me. And I know a whole bunch of you. And I know a whole bunch of men that don't live around here, that don't go to church here. Here's what I know about us men. We want to be, we try to be self-sufficient. Here's what I know about men. We are lovers of our own selves. Here's what I know about men. We do what is convenient, and of the two genders, we are the more selfish. We don't pray because we're selfish. We don't pray because we don't think we need God, because we're self-sufficient. I got this. I'll only call on God when my arms are twisted behind my back. I'm laying flat on my back in a hospital bed, and I cannot do anything else. Then I'll call out to God in prayer. 
Women who are generally more emotional in their nature are quicker to have a life of prayer than men. Listen up. When leaders do not pray, generally the followers do not pray. When men who are called to lead their wives and their homes are prayerless, oftentimes the home becomes prayerless. When the pastor and deacons and key men of a church do not pray, the church is left void of true, real, genuine prayer. Jesus said this, He said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Yet many of us men, we do not pray. Ian Bounds said this, he said, Praying men are the saviors of the church for this material tendency. They pour into the original spiritual forces, lift it off the sandbars of materials, and press it out into the ocean depths of spiritual power. Praying men keep God in the church in full force, uh, keep His hand on the helm, and train uh, uh, the church in lessons of strength and trust. God has called upon all of us to ask, seek, and knock. When we pray with purpose, we move the heart of God and we mold the heart of men. James 5 says that Elijah... Look back at verse 17 with me, James chapter 5. Look back at verse 17, James 5. We finish here. The Bible says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it may not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Men, ladies, do we believe that God is not a respecter of persons? we believe that? Do we believe that if God can take Elijah, who struggled with sin, just like we do, what's that mean? He was a man of like passage. you know what that means? That means he put his pants on the same way we do. He struggled with things the same way we do. He had ups and downs in life just like we do. But Elijah learned how to pray. He learned how to bend his knee and get hold of God. He learned how to grab heaven and move it to a purpose and a cause. May God give us a church full of men and women who know how to pray. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to delay the altar being open. The altar is open right now. If God's working on your heart, you don't need a note on the piano to play. If God's working on your heart, why don't you just get up where you are? I'm going to formally open the altar in a moment. But if God's working on your heart, don't hesitate. You get up right now and come and kneel and bend a knee. And you speak to God about whatever the Spirit of God is dealing with. I am not the Holy Spirit in your life. My job is to convey truth, not convict you of sin. God's working in your heart right now. Why don't you just go ahead and get up where you are and bend a knee. Why don't you tell God what it is that He's working on you with.